We're talking about restoration today. Restoration is a challenging subject because it's raw. And we've got to approach it that way. And I just commend anybody in this room that showed up today and you're needing restoration. The fact that you're here, I just thank you for that. And I want you to know that we serve a God of restoration. And this message is to communicate with you. I've seen restoration happen in phases. I've seen it happen in seasons. I've seen it happen like scenes in a movie rather quickly. Today, I want to talk to you about restoration through a sense of welcome, like welcome home. And we will talk about the welcome and the blessing, more the, that intangible side that then leads to the provision where it shows up in the physical realm, the ways that God is working a miracle of restoration in your life. And I, I want to pray because the last couple of services, man, God has met us. And I, I'm just expectant for what is going to happen around this altar. And so I know you are as well. Will you join me and let's just pray, God, have your way. Holy Spirit, you've occupied these seats with people that you wanted here. No one's here by accident. Speak clearly and personally. Draw people by your love and grace and start transformation and restoration by your power. It's you and it's your word that is center and that is the reason we can have this hope. And so, God, I pray against any distraction. I pray, God, that those who've experienced this will just be in their heart praying that no one would leave this place that needs your restoration without responding and seeing that, that new season begin. And so, Lord, we thank you in advance for what you are about to do in Jesus' name. And let's praise him with a clap offering today. He's worthy. All right. The truth comes from the book of Ruth. And let me give you the backstory so that when we start reading, you'll know where we are. Naomi is married to Elimelech. They live in Bethlehem. But a famine hits. They try everything. Finally, they move to Moab. And while in Moab, Elimelech and Naomi's sons get married. One marries Ruth. The other marries Orpah. We don't know the circumstances around what I'm about to tell you, we just know that Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and not too long after that, her sons died. She suffers the unspeakable loss of her husband and her sons. You also have the impact of that on Ruth and Orpah. As time unfolded, Naomi decides to go back home. She hears that there's food again. So she says to her daughters-in-law, I'm going home, but I encourage you to stay here because I really don't have anything to offer you. I don't have a future for you. But Ruth says, I'm going with you. And they return from Moab to Bethlehem, and they have nothing. And so we pick up the story right there, and I'll start at verse 2 of Ruth chapter 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. For context, please know that in that culture, the way those who were desperate survived 
is to just go into any field. They would just venture into a field, not even knowing the owner. The owner of that field was instructed to harvest, but not to the edge of the field. There was like this, this part along the edge that they were to leave for those who were desperate to come into the field and do what we call gleaning. And they would glean from that section and gather and go home, hopefully with enough to survive one more day. And then the next day they would have to start that again. And so that is what Ruth is doing. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out. Enter the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. If you know the story, then you and I are in on something that at this point, Ruth has no idea. See, we know. But Ruth has just left the home, found a field, not knowing who the owner is, not knowing the family line that he comes from. So it says, as it turned out, it just turned out that She's in Boaz's field, and just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, so who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field. She's remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the woman who worked, with women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, Go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Let me pause right there and just put a word in front of you. It's the word welcome. It's this welcome home. It's the beginning of restoration. It's intangible. It starts in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit starting to make you to know there's a fresh work happening between you and the Lord. For Naomi or for Ruth, it happened like this. We see it in the, this passage. Boaz said, don't glean anywhere else. So this welcome was not just for the day, but for the days to come, because each day you would be finding a new field. You weren't welcome back in the same field. So in this welcome, there's going to be this uniqueness of this invitation. Then she is told, you will be safe here. Gleaning was not the safest thing to be doing. But Boaz was ensuring her protection. And finally, when you get thirsty, you can quench that thirst. Restoration starts intangibly. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. I don't have a better word than you just sense a fresh connection. There's power in that work of God between you and him. Then there's a sense that your heart is going to be guarded. This work is going to be protected. And there is a quenching 
that you've been needy, like being thirsty. But now something is starting to quench that thirst. You get thirsty again. But in this welcome, the Holy Spirit lets you know that restoration has started because something is starting to satisfy. And you haven't sensed that in a long time. Welcome. We continue the text, and it tells us, at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The Boaz, this type of Christ, is showing us this biblical principle that it is now going to be done unto Ruth as she has done unto Naomi. Remember, Ruth is grieving. Ruth has suffered loss but she's still showing kindness. She's still acting out of a goodness that is in her heart. And it is not unseen by the Lord. So even when I'm hurting and I'm needing restoration, if I continue in kindness, no matter how small the act, God sees it. And I'm under the principle of give and it will be given. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Be merciful and you'll be shown mercy. As you have measured to others, it will be measured to you. And then it culminates with this picture of being under the covering, the wings, under that refuge of God. David talked about that so often, about being under the shadow of the Almighty taking refuge in the protective canopy of God's presence around your life. And so do you see this word blessing? You're blessed with a sense of safety. There's some satisfaction, not full restoration, but there's a need being met in your life that you haven't sensed in a long time. And you start in fresh awareness that you've always been under the shadow of the Almighty. He sees you. He's never forgotten you. And when you couldn't see it and you couldn't feel it, He was still there. That's blessing. You will know that restoration is happening when you sense the welcome and the blessing. They're closely tied together. We haven't even gotten to the physical realm. You've got to know that it starts in your heart. And so if you've sensed any of what I've said, the miracle of restoration is happening. And then we go to verse 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. 
when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Let me pause right there. They've come to a table. And this is going to occupy all of the Christmas Eve message. We've been welcomed home, those lost from the house, those lost in the house. We've checked our baggage at the cross. We're here today for restoration, and next week we make it to the table with our Redeemer. And I would love to get into that. I just appeal to you to know next week is going to be so, so strong. As, verse 15, she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So you're seeing provision here. She's not just gleaning where she has to do everything. They're now harvesting and stacking and cutting stalks, leaving them. So I want you to see in that provision. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. She then threshed barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So from the meal and the gleaning, she comes home. And her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Because an ephah is, that equals 30 pounds. When you would glean, you would hope to gather enough for one meal to, to survive one more day. She comes home and has food left over from an actual meal that she had had with Boaz sitting at a table with his harvesters and almost more barley than she could carry, 30 pounds worth. And so Naomi goes, blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And right here, Naomi, who's lost her husband and two sons, is now seeing the hidden hand of God that is starting restoration the hidden hand of God that is never lifted and the awareness of God that has never left her. That man, watch this, is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And in that context, that means he is one. He is the only one by virtue of who he is here, by virtue of who he is, who can restore Everything that we've lost. This is the field that she just happened into. It just kind of turned out. No, it didn't just turn out. God was ordering her steps when she couldn't see it. She didn't know it. And so I want to put here the word provision. The word provision where when Ruth comes home, with all of that barley. Now in the physical realm, there is restoration happening that is pointing them to a God 
who is faithful, who is aware, who is providing. Do you know that when you do a word study and you look at words in this story of restoration, you say, where would you find the depth of these words in other places? It takes you basically to one. It's Joel chapter 2. And that's where the Bible says that the Lord would restore. And let me set up the context. These people would plant their fields. And at harvest time, there would be a locust invasion. And they would ravage the fields. So hard work, time, investment would be lost. So this is affecting them emotionally. They're defeated. It's affecting them economically. It is affecting their future well-being. I mean, it's devastating. And it was happening year after year. And God spoke and said, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. When you look at the restoration happening with Ruth and Naomi, the only other place you find that kind of depth is in the book of Joel. But Ruth didn't do anything wrong. Naomi didn't do anything wrong. They just suffered the loss that is in this broken world. And God is stepping in. And just so happened, Ruth ends up in Boaz's field, who is a kinsman redeemer, who starts this providing work. And they are experiencing God's grace. But when you talk about the people of Joel, they were under judgment they deserved. Now get it. Lean into this. To those who deserve restoration and to those who didn't, God says, I will restore the years. So when I come to the altar time, I'm speaking to people like the meat cleaver of life came down and life is no longer like it was and you didn't do anything wrong. But I'm also talking to people who might be tempted to think that you brought it on yourself and you just have, this is your lot. This is the way life is. No, in the incredible grace of God, there is restoration. I will be the first, and I'm sure you would testify the same, of God restoring you where you messed it all up, but God was good enough. Testify with me today. Didn't deserve it, but God stepped in and restored. And then there are those things came out of nowhere and God showed up. And so he says, I will restore the years. How does he do that? How do you restore years? You have to multiply the new harvest. And, and you track that story to the parable of the sower where because your heart has been welcomed and there's a fresh work of the Spirit going on in your heart, your heart's good ground. And what God does in you is going to reap at a minimum a 30-fold 
30, 60, or 100-fold. And a 100-fold harvest just one year is greater than 10 years at 30-fold. I came into 2020, and my series to start the year was 2020 Vision. I preached about a decade of vision. I said these words, I believe God's going to do more in this next decade than all the decades of my life leading up to right now. Three months later, the whole world shut down. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how's this? I mean, I had hoodies, print. I had the merch to back up my vision. <laughs> and I want to tell you how he does it. Because he gives us a future and a hope. And he can multiply that seed. Man, I feel something in this room right now. In the Yellowstone area, there was a devastating fire and some million trees were lost and they were studying how long is this going to take? Will it ever come back? And over time, they realized the trees that were coming back were eight times larger than the trees that were there. And they said there was seed in those previous trees that only an intense heat could have ever opened. And you get that message? Come on. Come on. We're going to be tested. We're going to go. But God restores and he multiplies fruitfulness. That's the provision. And I'll transition from this point by just telling you that Boaz ends up marrying Ruth. Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed, and Obed grows up, gets married, and has a son named Jesse. Jesse grows up, gets married, and has a son named David. And in the line of David, we're now back to Bethlehem at what we call the incarnation, the virgin birth. Jesus was born, lived a sinless life, died, rose again as the kinsman, redeemer, multiplied harvest, Obed, Jesse, David, Jesus, multiplied harvest. Thank you, Jesus. Many of you know this precious family, Dalton and Haley Fulps and their incredible kids. They're doing so well, but back in 2021, it wasn't going so well. Dalton was still reeling from the pain of the tragic loss of his mother, had started abusing alcohol, and Haley was appealing to him to get help. Dalton is a Broken Arrow firefighter, and so he was invited into our first responders ministry that's also our ministry to veterans called Mighty Oaks. He went through that week-long ministry, and it changed his life. There he experienced a fresh welcome from the Holy Spirit. There, deep in his soul, God started a work. By the end of the week, Haley was getting texts from Dalton, and she knew something had changed just by the words he was using. Upon coming home weeks and months in, she watched as he was walking in freedom. Now it is almost 2024, and that freedom has sustained. And their testimony is, we love the Lord more than ever. We love each other more than ever. God has given us a precious family. We're faithful to church. 
we serve in church. There's a multiplied fruitfulness over this family because God is a restorer. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 35 years of pastoring, let me just give you my takeaways from the restoration I've seen in my life and in others. Number one, you have to name what's been lost. You confront it face to face, you name it. Claren Blandino, a licensed professional counselor, she does a lot of writing and, and ministry on what she calls ambiguous grief. And this is important because you need to name it, and sometimes it's ambiguous. She says this is a form of grief where someone hasn't died, but something has. And she refers to the death of dreams, the loss of a friendship, expectations, that were unmet, and you're grieving. And restoration begins when you name what's been lost and you become aware of that fresh welcome of the Holy Spirit in your life. Number two, you identify the marks that are left behind. Uncertainty, the trauma, the isolation, the life-controlling problem. Like Dalton, he turned that pain to the wrong place, and he had to identify the marks left behind. And then God started to work, because number three, you reconnect with the Prince of Peace. I felt in my prayers that in every service when I get to this point, I should emphasize how much the Lord gripped me during my prayer time over our gathering for this message to say, don't be a sheep without a shepherd. Pain wants to tell you all that God is not. And as a result, isolate you, disconnect you. Don't be a sheep without a shepherd. He loves you. He wants to lead you, counsel you, and he wants to restore you. Psalm 23. I want you to know today that God sees you. When you start living in that awareness, I'm not forgotten. You make room for the sovereignty of God for all of those questions that we'll live with until eternity. As you watch Ruth and Naomi, they just make room for the sovereignty of God. When you've suffered loss, there are some things you don't get back but you always get a future. And in that future, you find the grace of God and the graces that he has for your life. You find the blessing and the safety in that future to open your heart and to keep gleaning. I have the highest respect. I started the service with it for you coming to church. Because to me, that's like Ruth getting up, just trying to make it one more day. I'm, I'm, I'm going to church. And just remember, every time we gather, there's somebody here who needs a word from God. 
They're desperate. They're trying to make it another day. And so I respect you for coming and trying to gather strength. I want you to know that God sees you. Very special ministry is about to happen at this altar, but I want you to know one more story, and then we're going to trust the Lord to let you know just how much He sees you. So watch this. Thirty-five years since this horrific accident happened. It was a youth group from First Assembly of God in Radcliffe, Kentucky. They had taken this trip annually for nine years. There were 67 people on that bus. There were three adults and 64 young people. Forty made it off the bus and 24 kids did not. The adults had stayed on trying to get as many kids off as possible. The three adults were an associate pastor who was driving the bus when they were hit by this drunk driver, the youth pastor, and then the wife of another associate pastor who was not on the trip. That associate pastor's name was Lee Williams, and it was his wife, Joy. Not only was his wife on that bus, but his two daughters. Kristen was 14, and Robin was 10. Pastor Don and Martha Tennyson were so loved. They're just legendary people, legendary pastors, and they pastored that church through unimaginable grief. Lee continued on there at the church, even though I can't imagine what that was like for him. That was 1988. In 1990, as was kind of normal, Lee would be asked to minister at other churches. He was a men's ministry director, and so he would often get invited to other churches to preach, to minister. And so he had gotten invited to preach at a church in North Carolina, several states away, on a particular Sunday in March. It was going to be March 4th, 1990. That would have been the 16th birthday of his oldest daughter, Crystal. Kristen, I'm sorry. When the pastor called, he said, well, as he told anyone that asked, he said, I'll pray about that and I'll get back in touch with you. And he says that, you know, he said to God, God, I don't know. I had thoughts about that Sunday, and honestly, I just wanted to go to Missouri 
and sit in the cemetery with my girl and just cry my eyes out. That's really what I want to do on that day. But he felt the Lord just immediately impress on him to go, to just go and minister, that he would be faithful. And so he called the pastor back and he said, he said, uh, I'll be there, I'll be there. A few weeks before that Sunday arrived, he felt the Lord say to him, have 16 red roses in that service and I'll tell you at the time what to do with them. He didn't understand, but he called the pastor and he said, I, if I could, I'd like to have you have 16 red roses for me in a vase and I don't know, God will tell me what I'm supposed to do with them. The Sunday came and that morning when he woke up, God said, her name is Missy. Her name is Missy. The service started. He kind of looked around. The pastor was on the platform and he called him up when it was time to, to minister and to preach and he, he did. And within that story of telling his testimony, he shared, he was very honest with the people. He said, today would have been my oldest daughter Kristen's 16th birthday. And he said, part of me didn't think I could even do this. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to come and be here today. And he said, is there anybody named Missy here? And a little girl in the third row raised her hand. And he said, would you come here? And he picked up those roses. And he said, I don't know you. But he said, God just wants you to have these today. There was hardly a dry eye in the congregation already. But at that point, it was powerful because Missy began to cry and she said, I know you have no idea who I am. But she said, last night, as I was falling asleep, she said, I'm in my grandmother's home. Both my mom and dad are gone. And she said, I was just thinking, you know, how neat it would be if I had my dad here and he would give me 16 red roses because today, is my 16th birthday. And of all the stories of restoration and the faithfulness of God and the heart of God to see us and to know where we are and to visit us in our grief, in our loss, I don't know that I've heard a more powerful one than this. Because on that day, God let a heartbroken dad know that he saw him and that there was pain, but there was gonna be purpose out of that pain. And he also let a 16-year-old young lady know that he saw her and that he would be for her, for the rest of her days, more than enough. In this room, I'm looking around and I'm seeing people that I know have walked with God for years. You've known God for years, but so have I. And we've been through some things, right? We've walked through some things. But I want you to know that none of us can fathom 
even in this moment, how personal God is and how much he loves us. But I want you to know today that just like he saw Missy, just like he saw Lee, he sees you and he's here. He's here to restore. I listened to Kelly tell that story. I have to tell you, you probably know if you don't, when Kelly was 13 and her sister Joanne was 17, they were with their mom and dad, a little car on their way home from vacation, and a drunk driver hit them, and Kelly's mom was thrown from that car and instantly killed. And so, a husband and a 13-year-old daughter, 17-year-old daughter, had to walk it out. And I've watched just that work of the Holy Spirit in Kelly's life. I know it's real. I'm not just speaking to you from the story of Ruth, and I'm not just speaking to you from the story of Dalton and Haley. We're speaking to you from our story. God is a God of restoration. I just want you to know right now, He sees you. And He loves you. And that sense of His presence in your heart, that's the welcome. Restoration is starting. I want to invite you to stand with me, everyone. And with your eyes closed in prayer, I want to ask you this question. Does this message have your name on it? Is there that grief or ambiguous grief? And you need the Lord to do a work in your life. You need His help today. You need God to meet you today. If that's true for you, then when we start singing, I want to ask you to come. And I will join you, Kelly will join you, this church will join you in faith-filled prayer for God to start restoration in your life. It's going to be a lot of people, but I'm talking to you, and I've, I've got to remind you, if you didn't do anything, that man, life changed, God restores if you messed up, God restores. So Holy Spirit, I pray from every section, every age, if this message spoke, let those men and women, let them respond and God just start a work of your love that is greater than anything. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.